of Advent, we are studying four passages in Isaiah. They are usually referred to as the servant songs of Isaiah. And they're referred to that way because that's how, the, that's how Isaiah, how the Lord through Isaiah, introduces the Messiah. He calls him the servant, my servant. That is the Messiah. That is the one that we know to be Jesus. And we learn a little bit more about who Jesus is and what he's come to do through these prophecies about him that happened 500 years before his birth. We're in that servant song number two now, which is Isaiah chapter 49, and we'll be looking at verses one through six. So if you've got your Bible, you can open it up to Isaiah 49. Uh, It's also printed in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along there. Listen now as I read from God's word. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and all Israel, that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He now says this, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that your light has reached to the ends of the earth because it's come all the way to us. Lord, we ask now that you would continue to shine your light in our hearts, that through your word you might enlighten the dark places of our hearts and our lives that we might come to see who you are more clearly, we might come to see who we are more clearly, and that we might see then what Jesus has done for us, that we might know him more deeply, that we might love him more fully. We pray that you would do this through your word this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Christmas time, right? Or at least we're marching toward Christmas, and uh, we're in the kind of the gift-giving season, and oftentimes you'll, you know, you'll hear this phrase mentioned a lot, what do you want for Christmas? What's on your list? What are you kind of building that list and asking for? And as adults, sometimes we, we couch it this way, what do you need for Christmas? What are the things kind of in your life that you wish that aren't there right now that you wish were there? Maybe some kind of holes in your closet or whatever it is that you want to add there. Now, honestly, for most of us in this room, that word need is an enormous overstatement. We don't need things. We want things. We want to be able to have some things that are nice for us to have that we can enjoy during Christmas. But we ask it in that way because we're familiar with this idea of us needing something. Now, what if you kind of expanded that question to say to the whole world and you ask the question, what does the world need? I asked that question of Google this week. And uh, I got some great answers from Google. Uh, What Google says the world needs really can kind of break down into a few different categories. The first and really probably the most prominent thing that came up revolved around energy some sort of way. 
Wouldn't it be great if there was this source of energy that never ran out and was easy to find and was super cheap and it didn't do any harm and it, you could find it really easily but you still got really rich if you found it and it created like 100,000 new jobs. Wouldn't that be great if we had that kind of energy source around, right? So that was one of the things that came up as what does the world need? Second big category was about water. It was about uh, the world needs uh, oceans that are actually protected and clean and aren't deteriorating and aren't falling apart and the world needs clean drinking water. There are a lot of people around the globe who don't have good water to drink. That would be nice for the world to have. And then there was um, things like, you know, we need a cure for diseases like cancer. We need a cure for the things that seem to plague us all the time that we can't ever really figure out. And then you had the things kind of like uh, one guy said, what the world really needs is, uh, is this automatic icon that comes up on every political or religious or social speech. Whenever something kind of dubious is said, it just pops up. It's this pants on fire icon that just shows up, just automatically does, right? The world really needs that. Um, and then my favorite, teleportation. Well, that, was, that was listed. The world really needs the ability to teleport. That's kind of a, you're supposed to laugh at that one. That's supposed to be a joke. Thank you. Uh, I don't really think the world needs to teleport. Uh, if you ask the Bible, what does the world need? What's the answer you're going to get? Well, interestingly, you know, you'll get a lot of similar answers to the ones we just talked about. Right? God's people in the Bible are often called and found praying for things like God to send the sun and the rain, for the energy needed for crops to be produced so that people can eat. You find God's people praying for the things that they need to survive, like, like water, like the things that people need for, for human flourishing. We want the world to be rid of things like disease and war and strife. And, you know, the Bible proclaims the same thing even that that song in the 70s proclaims. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, right? Those are all things that the Bible affirms. But more than anything else... Overwhelmingly, when you ask that question of the Bible, what does the world need? The answer is the world needs the Lord. The world needs the creator of all things. The world needs God in order for us to be right. In order for us to flourish as the human beings that we were created to be, we need our creator and our redeemer to be with us. The very last chapter of the whole Bible ends with, uh, it's, it's in Revelation, and Jesus is talking to the Apostle John, and Jesus says, I'm coming back, and I'm coming back soon, and John's response is not, great, bring a great renewable energy source with you, or bring some really good drinking water. He says, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because that is what we need. One of the foundational values that our church is built on is that everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. And one of the really foundational things that Isaiah, the prophet, tells us about who the Messiah is, why he has come, is to answer this question. What does the world need? The answer is it needs the Lord. It needs the Lord and it needs his son to come and be with us and make things right. Here's the second part to that, though, and this is the part that oftentimes trips us up is that all throughout the Bible, the, que the answer is the world needs God. But then if you ask a second question, how are they going to get it? The answer is God's people are supposed to give God to the world. God's people are supposed to be the ones who reveal who God is. 
That's all throughout the Bible. If you open up the pages of the Old Testament, right from the very start, God makes Adam and Eve and he tells them, be fruitful and fill the earth with my glory. He says, I've created you in my image. Now go and fill the earth with that image. The world needs me and you're going to give me to them. Further, in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you a really big family and I'm going to make a great nation out of you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless those who bless you and you're going to become a great nation so that you might bless the world. It's through you that all of the families in the world, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. God tells Abraham and those descendants that come after him, the world needs me and you are going to give them, give me to them. In Exodus 19, God tells his people, you are a kingdom of priests to me. A priest is one who mediates, and a kingdom of priests are those who mediate God's blessing to the world around them. That's what Israel was supposed to be. God's people were supposed to be mediators of his blessing, to proclaim his glory throughout the whole world. Before David goes to war with Goliath, He says this, he says, um, just so you know, God is going to deliver us. He's going to deliver us through me. And he's going to do so in order that you know that there is a God in Israel. In order that you, even the enemies of God, the Philistines, would know who God is. That's his purpose. He wants to reveal himself to the world, to the nations, and he wants to use his people to do so. And then here in the passage that we're looking at this week, in Isaiah 49, listen again to verse 6. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God's purpose is that his salvation would reach to the ends of the earth, that the world would know his glory, his beauty, his love, his forgiveness, his redemption. That is what the world needs most, is to know that, to know who God is. And his people are supposed to give that to them. That continues, of course, in the New Testament. We look at Matthew 28, and we see Jesus sending out his disciples and saying, Go and make disciples of all the world. Go out from here and make disciples. In Romans 10, uh, the Apostle Paul tells his people, he says, God desires that everyone would be saved, and people need to hear this from them, but how are they going to hear if you don't tell them? And how are they going to, how's somebody going to preach if you don't send them? What he's saying is the world needs to hear who I am, and you are going to be the ones who give me to them. In Acts 13, when Paul and Barnabas are talking to some Jews who don't get this concept, what they do is actually they quote here from Isaiah 49. And Paul says, God has commanded us, saying, you are going to be a light to the nations. I am sending you to be a light to the world. That is really what the whole Bible says, is that God is on a mission to redeem and renew and reclaim what has been lost, what has been taken from him, and he's going to use his people to do so. That was true of his people in the Old Testament. We as a church inherit those same promises and that same calling now to proclaim the goodness of God and his glory throughout the world. Now, There may be some of you where this little question is kind of in the back of your minds. You're thinking, um, doesn't that sound kind of arrogant, preacher? Like, we've got the answer everybody needs? Aren't you getting a little big for your britches there, church? Let me see if I can explain it uh, in these terms uh, with this story. There was, if you remember, uh, a few years ago, four or five years ago, some, some big snowstorms hit the southeast. 
And there was a town in Alabama uh, with, with, with a couple of hospitals and one neurosurgeon in the town. And this huge, this huge snowstorm hit the town, and uh, somebody still needed brain surgery. And there was this man who was scheduled for brain surgery, and on his way to go to that surgery that he's scheduled to provide, the only one who can do it, the surgeon actually hits this incredible traffic. It stopped, it stopped completely like a parking lot, and there's snow everywhere. There's just two feet of snow on the ground, and all of the cars are just locked up. He's on the phone with the nurse at the other hospital trying to figure it out, and he finally just says, you know what, I'm out of here. And he hangs up the phone, and he gets out of his car and starts walking. Six miles through the snow, he walked to the other hospital so that he could show up and perform surgery on this man who needed surgery. He's the only one who can do it. Is that arrogance, or is that responsibility? He knew I'm the only one who can perform this surgery. And so he went to great lengths to do it. Now, here's the problem with us. Not only do we typically not have that same kind of compulsion as that neurosurgeon, but we oftentimes just get all of this totally wrong. Either we kind of just set it aside and we're complacent or we get discouraged or we're just lazy or We fall into one of these two bigger kind of problems, I think. If you kind of talk about the church at large, you could say we usually fall into one side or the other. They're opposite ends of the spectrum that are both big problems uh, as far as how are we supposed to show God to the world. And here they are. One is you can have churches that say, okay, we are going to show God to the world by showing the world how different we are. We are different than everyone. You may say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Isn't the church supposed to be different? Yeah, they are. God is different. We call God holy. It means he's set apart. Jesus was different than everybody else. God actually calls his people all throughout the Old and New Testament to be set apart, to be different from the world. But what we have done oftentimes is we've taken that call and we've said, okay, in order to be different, we will huddle ourselves together. We will build some big walls that make us comfortable and we will remove ourselves completely from the people around us. And instead of moving toward people, we actually move away from them because we're afraid that maybe they might taint us a little bit. And we huddle together into these tribes and we start to create things that are tribal things and all of our art is meant to be shared with just Christians. And all that we do is consume stuff that other Christians have done. And we're in this little ghetto then. And guess what? There is no light to the nations in that ghetto because the wall is so high the light cannot shine. If God's people are so removed, then there can be no light to the nations because, first of all, people look and they say, you know what? When I look at the church, what I see is a whole group of people who are just kind of against everything. And they're against me. So why would I ever want to be a part of that? I reject what they're selling because they seem to be against me. That's, that's problem number one. Now, problem number two is the opposite of that. Is that you can have churches also that say... In order for us to shine a light to the nations and to show God to the world, we're going to show the world that we are just the same as they are. We're going to show the world that we're just the same. Now, why is that a problem? Jesus was the same, right? Jesus actually took on our flesh, became one of us. Jesus identified with us. He identified, he he met us where we are, as we like to say oftentimes. Jesus became one of us. And we are supposed to move toward people. But what has happened then in this in in folks in this branch of the church is that we've said, okay, we'll move toward people 
And in doing so, we're going to wholeheartedly adopt your worldview. And we're going to let go of every kind of distinctive. And so, yes, we've moved toward you in love, but now there's no, nothing that distinguishes Christians from others. And you ask the question, um, is that guy a Christian? I don't know. He runs his business just like everybody else does. He treats his employees just like everybody else does. He kind of acts and talks like everybody else does. I don't know. I can't tell. There's no difference between a non-Christian and a Christian. We've just kind of assimilated and become these chameleons. The light doesn't shine on the nations there either because there's no light to be seen. There's no difference. It looks just the same as everybody else. Now, the good news that we get in Isaiah is that even though we fall usually into one of those camps and struggle with those things all of the time, there has actually come one who can do it. The proclamation that Isaiah gives is this, the servant, the Messiah, the one who we know to be Jesus, has come to do something that we can't do. That Jesus has actually come to take on our flesh, to be as like us as is humanly possible. 100% man. He has come to be us and to identify with us and to know us and to take on our sin. And at the same time, has remained 100% God, is holy, is sinless, is very different than us in so many ways. He's the perfect combination of both of those things. You see that actually in this passage. Look at verse 4. Uh, The servant says, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe particularly in this realm of evangelism, like I'm just laboring in vain. I feel like my strength is spent and I'm spinning my wheels. Jesus identifies with you. Jesus has felt those same things. Jesus has felt that kind of discouragement. Jesus is like us. But look at this in verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. That's odd language for us, but really what Isaiah is saying is he is perfectly suited for the job. He is as perfectly suited for the job as a sharp sword is suited for its job, as a polished arrow is suited for its job. The Messiah is the most perfectly suited for the job. He's totally unlike us in that way, and he is the perfect combination of those things. And what Isaiah proclaims, what the whole of the Bible proclaims, is that we need someone who can come and do what we cannot, who can take on our flesh, who can become like us yet remain apart from us, who can not only live the life that we were supposed to live, but then die the death that we deserved and be raised to new life. That is the gospel. That is what the Bible says Jesus has done for us. We call that the good news or the gospel, that Jesus has done things for us that we can't do on our own. And friends, that is the key to what it means for us to actually take up that calling as well. See, here's what it means for us, is that once we realize and recognize that Jesus has done something that we cannot, a few things happen. First of all, we recognize we're the nations, right? And we see that that light of the gospel has actually shined on our hearts as well. We live 2,000 years and multiple thousand miles away from where Isaiah and Jesus were when they were talking about these things, okay? So that light has shone all the way into a weird place like New Braunfels, Texas in 2018. That's the first thing we recognize, and we fall on our knees in thankfulness and praise. Secondly, what we realize is that uh, it, it increases our desire to see that light go out through the world, and at the same time, decreases the pressure, 
Because if Jesus has done it, then we want to be those who proclaim that goodness, and we also know that he's the only one who can do it, and he's continually at work doing so. So it increases in our desire to see those around us come to know the Lord, and it decreases the pressure because the weight, the weight of that is actually lifted. It's on him and not us. And then thirdly, what it does for us is it actually, we realize that the world, as a church we realize this, that what the world needs is not a church that is primarily here to proclaim how different we are, nor is it a church that is here primarily to proclaim how much the same we are. What the world needs is a church whose primary job it is to proclaim who Jesus is. It's the job of the church. is to show the world who Jesus is. That he is both like us and not like us. And that he is completely able to do what we cannot. That's what we do. We show the world the light of Christ so that he might actually work in their hearts. Now let's just close with uh, practical. How do, we, how do we do this? What does it look like for us to do this, to show the light of Christ to the world? Well, there are a lot of things, actually, a lot of answers to that question. It's really about our vocations, our work in the world. It's about our relationships with one another. It's about discussions that we have about substantive things. But I want to hone in on this one today, is that it's about the way that we serve. I don't think it's a mistake that Isaiah calls the Messiah the servant. Because that is what Jesus has come to do. He has come to serve. And his followers are those who also are called to serve. And not only is that part of our discipleship, it's actually part of our mission. Our service of those around us is not just part of what, how we are called to follow Jesus. It's actually one of the things that Jesus uses to show his light to the world. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, Wes and Jamie Baker, who many of you know, are part of our, our body, um, live here now but moved here from Peru where Wes still runs uh, a mission in Peru that includes a clinic and a school and a couple of churches and some other community outreach things. And they work very closely then with the city council of the place Trujillo, Peru, where they are. And so about two times a year, Wes has the opportunity to come and sit before the mayor and the city council and just kind of go through the list of this is what we've done this year. These are the people we've served. This is how we think we're impacting the city and serving the city around us. And he said, you know, really for the last couple of years, there has been a person on the city council, a transgender woman who has been an opponent of everything that we've ever done who has at every city council meeting stood up and said, uh, I am against all of this. I will not only vote against it, but I am actually going to stand up and talk and proclaim how against I am, how against it all I am. She's taken up a, um, a petition to try and get them to get their property removed and have them kicked out of the district. And so he said he was sitting here at the city council meeting and she stood up to speak again. And he thought, well, here we go again. Same old, same old. But what she said was different. She said, um, Mr. Mayor, members of the city council, I just want to say you all know that I have been um, that I've been against Peru mission and that I've spoken many times negatively about what they do. What I want to say today is that I was wrong because I've spent actually the last year attending their services and looking at the things that they do. And I've gone to their clinic 
And I've seen how the doctors care for the people in their, uh, in, in, in their realm that, that have the greatest need. I've seen how their doctors and their nurses actually treat the poor amongst them and the needy. I've been to their school and I've seen how these teachers care for these children, even the children that have nothing. I've seen in their outreaches how they care for the community and they love and they serve people. I've been to their church where their pastor and the elders and the people in the church have not only loved one another, but have how they have treated their guests and the visitors and how they've brought people in. And you know what? I've seen them and I've realized they're an enormous benefit to our city. And so I'm actually here to say I love what they're doing. They are a blessing to our city, to our state, and our country. That's what she said. You can imagine Wes was blown away. But should we really be blown away by that? That is what it looks like for the service of God's people. To be a blessing to the world so that God might be shown. So that the light of Christ might be shown to everybody and exposed so that they might see who God is. Let me ask you, continue to pray for Peru Mission in that way. Continue to pray for this woman, that she would turn into the biggest advocate that they've ever had. And pray for our church, that we would do the same. That we would want to love and serve one another and serve our city, serve our place in such a way that the light of Christ is proclaimed to the world around us. That's our job, to show God to the world. Let's pray that he would enable us to do that even now. Lord, we're so grateful, not only for the beautiful privilege that you have called us into of taking part in your mission, but even more so, Lord, that you have seen that we can't do it. You've seen our inadequacy, you've seen our need, and you've sent your son to do it instead. But what glorious news that is. That takes the burden off of our shoulders, yet, Lord, at the same time, it increases our desire. Will you increase that in us? That we might love and serve those around us so that people might see who you are, so that you might be proclaimed, so that your goodness and your love might be shown to the world. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus.